If you want Colts talk all year long, you're in the right place. This is the official Colts podcast, giving you an updated look at what's new with the horseshoes. Gets off to Taylor. He's in. Touchdown. I-N-D-Y. Fires that way. Picked off. Darius Leonard at the five-yard line. Plants in the pocket. The Colts bring it down. A sack for Indianapolis. Steps up into the end zone. He throws. Michael Pittman. Touchdown. Let's get the podcast started. Colts official podcast is back. Thanks for joining in. I'm Matt Taylor in studio today with Lara Overton and Casey Vallier. Normally with us, J.J. Stangovitz. He is out today. He'll be back next week talking Colts. That's what we're doing right now is we're going to recap rookie minicamp, which unfolded last week. We'll talk about the NFL schedule that was uh, released late last week. We'll do that coming up with Mike North. He is the NFL vice president of broadcast planning which is a fancy way of saying he puts the schedule together, like one of three guys (laughs) that uh, does the entire 272 NFL regular season schedule. But, Larry, you were out last week. You were uh, were down south doing some track stuff, right, having fun down in SEC country. I was. I was. Thanks for asking about that. I was in Oxford, so I was at Ole Miss on the campus, uh, three days of track and field. But amid all of that, I got to nerd out on a little bit of football because, of course, there is so much Manning flavor around Ole Miss and was given a tour of the Manning room, which was incredible. So despite being focused on track and field, I also got to immerse myself in some of the first family of football. And of course, in addition to being Eli, Archie and Cooper's alma mater, still a lot of Peyton around there because grew up going to the Grove and going to games there and, of course, you know, showing up to watch his younger brother play and all of that. So there's still a lot of Peyton around there as well. But that was it was a really, really fun weekend, but did miss a lot here. So very fortunate that I have the opportunity that our bosses are supportive in allowing me to take time and go down there and do those things. But excited to get back here. It felt good to get back in the building and see guys around and see the rookies. I mean, I, I got first eyes on Jelani. And he is. I mean, you look like, straight up at him. I, exactly. How's like, the view like up you there? know, like you know what the measurables are, right? Yeah. You you see the height and weight and the wingspan and all of that, but it's different in person. And I know that's what Coach Reich said it too. So, like, yeah. and Coach Reich is like a tall guy. So when Coach Reich said, "Yeah, he's bigger in he's person," bigger I'm than like, I thought, yeah. "Oh man, if Coach who's like six four and a half is saying he's bigger than you expect, I'm like, <laughs> what is this going to be like?" So you know, last year in training camp, I went and sat down on a stool next to Mo Alley, uh, Mo Alley Cox and we have a picture and I look either like a cake topper or like we're about to do like some sort of a ventriloquist <laughs> <Cake> skit <laughs> and like I'm going to sit on Mo's knee. You're and, getting you know. sleepy Mo. You're getting very sleepy. So, uh, so but I was like oh my gosh now that tight end room just like all of a sudden a blink of an eye has been transformed. Like they're all dwarfing Kylan Granson who's not small when you, you have Mo and Jelani and Drew. Yeah. I mean it's a big group so I can't wait now to have the interview with like all the tight ends like interview the whole group and then I'm you know I'm really gonna look like a You're on stilts like, I'll look like a poly pocket or something I don't know <laughs> good reference right there I can I can jive with the poly pocket reference with the with a five-year-old at home all right you said the Manning room yeah there's, so there's a room dedicated to just the Mannings it is it is and it's the Manning family it's not just Archie or Eli it's everyone because Cooper also initially was planning to play at Old Miss before the 
spinal stenosis, spinal stenosis diagnosis. Nice. Uh, that ended mm-hmm. his his football career. And Olivia too. You know, Olivia is a big part of it right. because she's an old Miss graduate as well. So they are renovating the football facility, not necessarily the the field itself, but the area that is adjacent to it, where they have all of their offices and their support and all of that. Whereas there are two manning rooms and so they've consolidated them into this one manning room for now there will eventually be a larger one as part of this you know football program annex that they're developing and building and it's just i mean a monstrosity like you can imagine the money in sec football right so you walk into what it is so there's kind of some things that are crammed in there because they're housing them to eventually go into the other space guys it's like walking into the den of the Manning house or like the man cave, the trophy room, there's couches in there. It's just, everything's hanging on the walls. It's all their stuff, right? It's all their stuff. It's, it's Archie's, it's Archie's Letterman's sweater and buttons, uh, you know, from his time there and trophies and family photos. And there's this famous Jersey that, was ripped during a game. I guess Archie broke his arm during a game. There's mm-hmm. this epic story where he broke his arm and they had to rip the arm off of it in order to put a sling on his non-throwing arm. So the ripped jersey is framed and hanging up in oh, there. That's cool. awesome. uh, I mean, just all sorts of, of things like that. And the uh, speed limits on campus, it, the, it's 18 miles per hour for Archie. <laughs> so there's the speed limit 18 sign. There are a couple of speed limit 10s for Eli as well. It's just all sorts of things. It's magazine covers and photos and just cool memorabilia. I could have stayed in there all day long. I cannot tell you how much I appreciate the time that the SIDs from Ole Miss gave me to drive me around and show me the facilities. Cool. And it was just really, really cool because I think that growing up in Big Ten country and went to Indiana and I absolutely loved my experience at Indiana and had the fortune of being there just after Antoine Randall L. So there was a ton of hype around the IU football program. But Football in the SEC is just so different. Yeah. And I've had the opportunity to go to a number of different campuses and experience that that feel of a University of Tennessee or at University of Georgia or mm-hmm. Florida, mm-hmm. all of those different places. Texas A&M. I've been to Texas A&M and gone in. Th- that is unbelievable, the money at Texas A&M. But somewhere that I've read so much about, because I'm a junkie for a good football biography, so I've read a ton of the Manning family biographies. So I had read so much about Archie's experience in Oxford, in in particular, of course, Eli's as well, and and all of the boys growing up there. But to see it to fruition is just incredible. Manning Way is the street that runs behind the football facility. It's so much fun. And of course... The topic comes up, what are the odds of getting Arch Manning to go to Ole Miss? <laughs> and, man, I could tell you, everyone is like, <laughs> we are fighting like heck, you yeah, know, to make yeah, it happen. Sure. But they made two points. Um, you know, they're very level-headed about it. Certainly they all want him to be there. What, is he a junior or a senior? He's a junior, so okay. he has one more year, right. correct? Yes, one right. more year. So he's made a lot of visits. He's visited Ole Miss. He visited Georgia, Alabama, Texas, uh, LSU, I believe, as well. So he's visited a number of, of different schools, both in the SEC and outside of the SEC. Uh, 
but they said one of the things that we're keeping in mind is he grew up here. I mean, since his earliest memories are tailgating in the Grove, Mm -hmm. going with the family to games. So he's almost had that experience. He's grown up with the experience of what Ole Miss football is. Does he want to go somewhere else and experience what the football culture is like in another program? Also, the NIL deal is going to be a big thing for him. So what what is the University of Texas putting out there for him, right? What is Alabama putting yeah. out there to try to lure him in? So I think they're what very is every w- school doing for yeah. a Manning NIL deal? I, exactly, Ooh. exactly. But man, it was really neat to see what that family means to the university, and then to guys track and field at the SEC level is incredible. On the men's and the women's side, the team race came down to the four by four hundred, which is everything you could dream of in terms of watching a track and field meet unfold. Three days of competition coming down to the final race. Congratulations to the University of Arkansas on the men's side, University of Florida on the women's side. But if you guys get an opportunity, Oxford is an incredible community. The square is so neat. It is really, especially if you appreciate college football and football tradition, it is an absolute little haven in the South. Well, I think you should do PR for uh, Ole Miss. <laughs> yeah, what'd you do this weekend, Matt? Wow. It's unbelievable. <laughs> you do PR for Ole Miss better than I can do PR for my family, my own kids, you know, get them into school down there. I'm going to call hey, Lara. Shout out Dean to of Tyler, Tyler and Kyle from the <laughs> athletics communication staff at, at Ole Miss. They were just incredible. It. And it was it was really fun. But I get like this, guys. I, like, I came home, and Dan's like, I feel like you want to move to Oxford, Mississippi. And <laughs> But also, I'm like, you know, I like we're joking. Chamber but, of Commerce. Right, but I'm, I also get like this whenever I come back from new places. Like, I love to geek out about sports towns. Like, uh-huh. I absolutely love it. And I think because I love Bloomington, Indiana so much, which has cultivated this love that I have of college sports towns and that environment that mm-hmm. there is. So I try to soak it in every single place that I have the fortune of going. And I'm so grateful that this business takes us such cool places that we get that experience that you know you, I've gone to I mean I, I can't even like name all these different campuses that have had the opportunity whether it was when I was competing or when I've been covering sports to go and to see and enjoy and learn about these different you know these different teams and there's they're, you know their organizations, their programs, all of that. It's awesome. Well, there you go. The Manning family there, the first family of football down I'm at fired Ole Miss. Up now. Yeah, right. Ready to go. Yeah. Oh. There's, another, there's another football family going, and now that's the Indianapolis Colts, of course. They held their rookie minicamp last weekend. Uh, eight draft picks. We had 22 undrafted free agents and a slew of tryout guys on the field last weekend at the Indiana Farm Bureau uh, Football Center. Casey, uh, we were out there on Friday, and we got a good look at Alec Pierce, but he had to call it quits a little bit early on Friday, had a little bit of a bout of, of uh, dehydration. Yep. But he was back on the field on Saturday, and by all reports, looked great, maybe the best player on the field over the weekend amongst the rookies. Let's talk about him. I know we've talked about him in the sense that, you know, he's he's drafted, he's acclimating, he's going to have to learn the full route tree, 
Um, he's going to be arguably the number three, number two wide receiver uh, in the mix next season in this Colts offense. But how confident are you that Pierce will be able to overcome those those wide receiver rookie challenges, right? Beat press man-to-man and learn that full route tree right away. I'm pretty confident. It's one of those things that, you know, we got a little behind the scenes with Chris Ballard last week as well. We got to see some of the, you know, what they saw on tape of Alec Pierce. And, and one of those things that I think we also learned, we've kind of learned over the last couple of years, that these college players are coming into the NFL a little mm-hmm. different than before. So there's, there's a lot that are playing into it, but then I also want to kind of heighten those expectations a little bit as well. You aren't let's say he goes out and has a Jamar Chase like year, that's phenomenal. But those expectations shouldn't be so high as a rookie. So I'm expecting it to be, you know, a little bit better than what you typically would have seen, let's say three, four, you know, maybe even ten years ago that when rookies came in, it was a little different expectation. I think it's a little higher than that, but I still don't think we need to expect that whatever he does as a rookie, that's what you can kind of pinpoint his career to be. Right. I think he's going to come in and be ahead of what the typical rookie production is for a number of reasons. One of those is look at the quarterback who he's working with. Matt Ryan has a history, has an established resume of elevating young receivers to play to their potential. Matt Ryan is the guy who can bring the best out of the guys around him. So that, to me, is one of the strongest arguments for Alec Pierce to be able to come in and make a greater impact than likely people anticipate typically of a rookie receiver. And he's already getting to work with Matt. They're already establishing that. That's fantastic. And Matt has worked with a lot of new receivers, whether that's a draft pick, a, you know, a high round draft pick in his time with the Atlanta Falcons, or it's someone who has come in as a young receiver, but coming in as a uh, newer to the organization as a free agent. So, and you've seen it time and time, time and time again, the way he's been able mm-hmm. to do that and elevate the guys around. The other thing is, You have the asset of having Reggie Wayne in that room. And Reggie Wayne endured some of those rookie struggles. I mean, in hearing the stories from the scouts, Todd Vasferi talking about he was the one who was working on the scouting report on Reggie and, like, the hands were so good. And uh, that was one of the selling points for Peyton as being able to know that you had a guy who was such a reliable receiver. And then Reggie came in and early on in training camp – had those type of struggles. And Todd famously said, I would have loved to have known what Peyton was thinking. Like, (laughs) here we have the scouting report. Like he has first round pick. Yeah, Yeah. first round pick. He has sure hands. You know, this is gonna be great. Yeah, it's like, yeah, he's got speed and his route running's good and all those things, but man, it's the hands and we're his strongest (laughs) asset. But you know, but Reggie, of course, you know, was playing in compliment to Marvin Harrison and had some of those struggles early on. I mean, he admits that it was really like his third year where he finally started to emerge. So Reggie has the experience of what those struggles are. So to me, Reggie can help Alec Pierce fast track that to some degree just by learning from his own experience and the Mm -hmm. own adversity that he had to overcome, but also be realistic with Alec Pierce. Hey, this is what's going to be hard. These are going to be the hurdles you're going to hit along the way. And I think that's going to be a very productive thing for Alec Pierce for Matt Ryan and for Reggie Wayne. Well, you already saw it in the mini camp, all all the things that he did well in college, you saw it in a short or small sample size in a short amount of time. During the mini camp, I mean, he was high pointing the ball. He was really good in the red zone. He caught balls over defenders. He was going over the top of guys with the great hands, great athleticism, physical toughness, and just contorting the body 
to be able to come up with with big catches. And, you know, that's what the Colts aren't going to do. They're not going to overload his plate too much, especially at this time of year when guys are getting acclimated, they're learning the playbook and seeing everything for the first time. That's going to be by design. But I think just generally speaking, in year one, the Colts are going to ask him to master or continue to master his strengths, what he did so well in college, the go routes, especially in the boundary, the over routes, the posts, and then he'll make adjustments on the ball. Here's what Frank Reich said, just generally speaking, about what he wanted to get out of the weekend with the rookies that were on the field. We don't throw too much at him, but just want to make sure, hey, can you handle it mentally and then and still play fast So, um, you know, and get out here and, again, show some consistency. We realize everybody's going to make mistakes. Everybody's learning them. That's fine. But then you're always looking just for athletic movement. You know, all the stuff that we saw on tape and that we studied, um, you want to see that at work out here. And you definitely was saw Frank that in a wind tunnel? <laughs> it was a little windy last Friday. Right? It, was, man. it was windy. Wow. <laughs> Check the forecast, man. <laughs> I was just you know, curious. Tumbleweeds and, but, you know. But the, the interviews were happening on the field. Yes. Right? Outside, which is a, a lovely change from having to be socially distanced, having guys at the podium. It was a true, like, scrum format. Right. Like, blink, and it's, you know, 2019. That's so funny, because that's literally what I said to Matt. I said, yeah, the audio quality is a little different, but... Yeah. Think of what we were doing. We haven't done this uh, since 2019. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it is it is kind of nice to get back to you. I know everybody uses that word, that normalcy, but we're getting close. We are definitely getting closer. No doubt. All right. Also, uh, speaking of Frank Reich, during the, uh, the mini camp, I think it was again on Friday when uh, Frank talked with the media, he was asked if the Colts need to bring in a veteran quarterback to back up Matt Ryan. On the roster right now, you've got Sam Ellinger, James Morgan, and Jack Cohn, who is a uh, undrafted free agent out of Notre Dame. Here's what Frank had to say last Friday about the backup quarterback situation. Chris and I are, you know, you know how we roll. I mean, we're, it's 24-7, 365. Is this roster where it needs to be at every position? So that's kind of the ongoing conversation um, all times and at every position. Is, and Nick, uh, I mean, Nick's out there. And you, you like the guy, so he, he could be a viable. Yeah, we're always looking at who makes his team better, you know, at every position. And um, so uh, who, who are the available veterans? You know, who could we still sign? Um, and as we, we've talked about this a lot, you know, Chris is very methodical about that process. You know, we're not in a rush. Um, you know, there's a timing to the way things go and the way the roster is put together that's very intentional. There you go. That's Frank Reich again in the wind tunnel last Friday. But <laughs> some good information right there. And uh, it was Mike Chappell in the middle of that asking the question. And uh, the Nick that he referred to, of course, is Nick Foles, who they were together. Nick and uh, Frank Reich were together in Philadelphia in 2017 uh, when the Eagles won the Super Bowl. So, Casey, I'll start with you. How, how confident are you and what the Colts have at the backup quarterback situation. Behind Matt Ryan, again, Ellinger, James Morgan, Jack Cohn, none of those guys, that that trio of players, none of them have attempted a pass right. in the regular season in the NFL. I'm confident in in Sam Ellinger in year two. Um, you know, you look at that. I know James Morgan's got a little bit of NFL experience in, in, under his belt as well. And, I mean, honestly, I was out there watching Jack Cohn, and he's got a, he's got a pretty strong arm, and he had a pretty good – you know, resume at Notre Dame, but uh, but looking at Sam Ellinger, it's a guy that he's got another year under his belt. This staff has always been very high on him, so I like having you know kind of that that youth as the backup behind a guy like Matt Ryan. But I think I do agree with you know what Frank is saying. It wouldn't be one of those things where I'd be super surprised if they look at kind of what that veteran market is come August. You know, to add you know 
some competition in training camp to kind of push those guys behind Matt Ryan, but also just to have a guy who's been there and done that because I think we'd all agree that this team, it's it's a pretty good roster on paper that if something happens, you don't want too big of a drop-off if something were to happen to Matt Ryan. So I, I think they're going to view all their options, but I am pretty confident in those guys, definitely in Sam Ellinger. I would like to see Sam Ellinger get a shot. Also, like, when does the statute of limitations run out on the Frank was with this guy in Philadelphia, so there's an obvious tie, and this is going to well. Be the a reason guy why it's being brought like, up is he was just released I, again by the Bears, I know, and the Colts don't it's have just, again. None of their quarterbacks have it's taken. It's another. It's a, just another season of this. It's like it's it's this right. grasping for straws. You're always going to you know it's uh you know. <laughs> it's always, hey, if Matt Ryan goes down, this is a but, playoff team. But it's like you're always drawing that. Oh, this is this guy from well, Philly who played for Frank. You also, know. Nick Foles was in Kansas City when Chris Ballard was there as there you well. Go. So you've got you know, those, you know it's, it's it's like right. it's always sunny in Philadelphia, and it's Pepe Silvia where he's <laughs> drawing the strings. There's always wait, we're reaching, there's an, it's always there's always. Well, always I've, sunny. Seen, wait, I've seen every episode. And I, I know not of which you speak. When Charlie Charlie Kelly's standing at the board and he's pointing to it, and he's like Pepe Silvia. Like it's on the whole, <laughs> okay, yeah, all right, right? right. So I feel like it's always like we have to find the Frank Wright to Philadelphia connection, and there it's, it's this. Player. I thought you were doing Char- Charty McDennis. Have Mark you seen that episode? <laughs> Larry <laughs> just stumped Matt Taylor. Yes. How about no, that? No, she yes, didn't. no, yes. she did it. It just took me a second. Okay, all right. Yeah, we, so, that, that, was that an early episode? It might have been like season well, one. My one husband three. referenced Pepe Sylvia last night because of something, and so it was fresh on my mind. But so anyway, yes, it's just no. Pepe Sylvia is like the. Frank Craig, Philadelphia. He played for Frank in Philadelphia, so we're going to go get him and whatever. Flipadelphia. So, yes, yes. Uh, now, back to my point at hand. But, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, sure, as, as Frank said, you're always doing your due diligence, and I get why you might want to explore the option of a veteran at that position. However, to my original point, I would like to see Sam Ellinger get a shot to show you what he can do because – he was such a gamer. The scouting department was so high on him in their evaluation. And just a few weeks ago, Zach Kiefer did a phenomenal piece in The Athletic where he had guys go read their scouting reports and evaluate them and what was fair, what wasn't, what surprised them about the process. And one of the questions that Zach asked to Sam, which I thought was a fantastic question, was let's say you're a scout or you're a coach, how would you evaluate a quarterback coming out of college? And Sam's answer is so impressive about what he thinks they should be looking for in terms of finding out how a quarterback translates his game to the to the pro level and how he can adapt his skill set to being effective at that position in the National Football League. His answer was so well thought out. I'm like, that's it. That's what you need. He's got it. He has the mentality. And he's aware that he's not six foot four, six foot five, has that typical kind of quarterback build. The guy's been able to figure it out. And I am just so intrigued by what he gives you. I would have I I honestly thought that we might see it in that Las Vegas Raiders game last season when Carson was out Mm -hmm. for COVID all week long and Sam had worked with the group Mm -hmm. and it had been a good week of work. We were obviously limited what we were able to see. Week three, right? Back in uh, Tennessee Tennessee with the ankles. Yeah, yeah, that that too. So I just think that I think he's deserving. I I do. I think that, you know, the, the problem in week three was that he had had that knee injury in the preseason. 
So that was still lingering. Oh, you're you right. Remember. You're right. That was uh, so, Yeah, he wasn't even on the active roster right. then. He was still on was injured reserve. Right, it was right. Brett because Hundley. he got yep. hurt. He got hurt in that yeah. Detroit game. It was Jacob Easton, Hunley, and Carson yes. Wentz all in the mix. Yeah, that seems like forever ago. It does. does. It's like a lifetime ago. So I, I do think, I, and I do know that this staff is really high on Sam. He's been here. He's putting in the work, mm-hmm. and he's a fun guy to root for. Yeah. And I do think that I think he is someone who this Colts fan base has a great like admiration for like I think people can really get on board with him at that position just because of who he is how dynamic he is both on and off the field Yeah, I think the Colts I think they're kind of taking the same approach big picture with backup quarterback as they are at wide receiver right because at wide receivers a lot of young players with upside they want to give those guys a fair shake to see what they can do to see what they believe in you know at that spot we've talked about this all off season right you got Strawn, Doolin, Patman it's not as if they can't do it. They they just haven't been asked to kind of fill that role yet in their career. Well, now they are needed to fill that role, and a few of those guys have to step up. Colts are doing using the same approach here. You know, one of those guys has to step up. And Ellinger last year, he had his ups and downs in the preseason. He had three picks, but he showed command of the offense. Right. He's got another year in the system. As you said, Lair, the guys believe him. He's got that it factor inside the huddle. He's got that good uh, leadership intangible about him. I think the Colts are going to let this play out at least through the first part of training camp. And then if they feel like they need to make a move, you know, they will. And because I think those guys, guys are going to get cut by other teams, too. Well, I think like you a guy like Nick that. Foles or someone like him of his caliber, where they are in their career, a guy like Nick Foles has a good probability of still being on the open market, you know, the early part of, of August, maybe the middle part of August. I completely agree because I think right now. So why why rush it? Let's it, that, see what you got. That's the best. That's the be- literally what I was about to say. Don't, no need to rush it because I think you kind of want to look at what you have. I mean, you're using this time right now that I'm not saying they're not going to bring anybody else in. But right now you're kind of looking to see what this looks like. And then you're. And gonna, I think they're doing the exact same thing at wide right. receiver. And I can think you could take the next month and a half to kind of assess and look at everything you have, and then you can kind of go, okay, we might need something here, here, and here. And then I do believe you, Matt, that he will be available. A guy like that could definitely be available when when training camp rolls around. All right, the last fallout coming from uh, rookie mini camp, and really it's it's the media availability in conjunction with the uh, with the practices. Uh, we heard from Bernard Ryman, Lara. He met with the media. He talked about his opportunity to compete at left tackle, be the guy. Uh, he's going to be in direct competition at least early on with the veteran Matt Pryor. Um, those guys are going to battle it out starting in OTAs next week, uh, mini camp in June, all of training camp. You've got a guy, Lara, that has only a handful of starts at left tackle, a rookie that has never played in the NFL at all in the regular season, Lara, how, how real is the competition between Ryman and Pryor for that really important left tackle job with Matt Ryan now at quarterback? Very real. Very, very real. You're not going to spend a draft pick on a guy you don't think is an immediate contributor at that position to me. I, I think that was one of the so areas saying, you had of need. You're saying truly 50-50 there. Yeah, right I think now. I think yeah. so. Yeah. And I think that they should both approach it that way. I mean, you think about it, and Ryman's coming out of, like, Tackle University, Central right. Michigan. Yeah. You look at Joe Staley and Eric Fisher, and, you know, you, you think about the program he's coming out of that has produced really solid. NFL tackles and I I do think that he is one of the things that intrigues me so much aside from all of the physical attributes of Bernard Ryman is the fact 
he is like obsessed, absolutely obsessed with with football. In talking with his family and, and JJ's article and his uh, his host family when he was an exchange student, JJ learned that you know the mom of the family that was hosting him for that year. He was every single camp clinic he could find. Yeah. He was looking it up. She is shuttling him around, carpooling everywhere he wanted to go. He is such a student of the game, and that is immensely going to fast track his ability at that position. Because what have we seen with the guys who have played at that position, led by Anthony Costanzo? They are often the smartest guys on the field. And mm-hmm. I feel like Bernard Ryman exudes that. Matt Pryor certainly does too. Matt Pryor, very smart football player, and he certainly has that savvy veteran experience that he brings in as well. So I do think there will be competition the upside for Bernard Ryman. We have no idea what his ceiling is, and I think he can start to show that immediately with the competition you're going to see there. One of the things that, I mean, Matt and I were able to sit in the Chris Ballard, you know, post-draft thing, which is always really, really cool. But one of the things that somebody asked was why he fell. Because, you know, they had him graded as a second-round grade, which that's pretty high-level, a lot of questions that nobody knows on why he fell. But the Colts were very beneficial to be able to get him when they did. And I'm with you. I think that there is a reason that they selected him. I don't know if it's going to be that he is day one starter at left tackle, but there's definitely going to be serious competition. But also that swing tackle, that's a very, very valuable position on this team. So that that's one of the things that – that those two guys, you're going to see a lot of them, I believe. And one of the things, even going back to Chris's postmortem, you know, from last year as to why they didn't take a tackle in the 2021 draft, he said we didn't feel like that there were true left right. tackles out there. So to me, that's very telling. Agreed. If you did select a tackle here, you really are high on. Mm-hmm on Bernard Ryman at the left tackle position because of how stringent your caliber was the last two years at that position. Well, no matter how it shakes out, it's it's going to be fascinating. And uh, as they say, let the best man win. That competition's open. It really starts now. And uh, no matter how you slice it, it's interesting because of the big jump because Ryman has been a left tackle for only two years, switching from tight end in college. You know, playing in the MAC, that's a big jump from the MAC to the NFL. And then Matt Pryor, as we said, only has a couple of starts under his belt at the left tackle position, looking to kind of settle into that role on a more permanent basis. Um, lastly, before we get to Mike North coming up here, as we continue to talk about the NFL schedule and some of the um, the interesting things on the Colts schedule, playing all those AFC South games right out of the gate and getting four primetime games, which is uh, a pleasant surprise. We've got uh, joint practices set, guys. We've got the Detroit Lions coming in uh, to take on the Colts and practice August 17th and 18th up at Grand Park in Westfield. This will be the third year in a row. Cleveland and 19, Carolina last year, I guess, not three years in a row, but three years that you've been available to do it, right, uh, with with COVID kind of being a, a yeah, big, Not consecutive years, but essentially right, three years. Not in interrupting row, yeah. things. Yep. So uh, also interesting because Hard Knocks is back on yeah. the Colts, at least indirectly, because the Lions will be the focus of the training camp uh, version of Hard Knocks this year. So obviously those cameras – and uh, that show will be focusing on the Colts and at least know, for a couple of days. And you know they are all about the Dan Campbell content. I mean, the sound bites <laughs> that are going to come and, out of that. Oh, yeah. Here we Woo! go. <laughs> what's, what's the coffee? coffee? Yeah, it's a venti coffee with two shots of espresso, so it's like a double red eye, I think. 
I can't wait to see Dan Campbell at the Starbucks there, right right outside of Grand Park, you know? Woo, it was like just Rick off Flair. Like yeah. Rick Flair in practice. Woo! Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Starting defense. Also, how popular, how popular is David Blau going to be when they come to Westfield and you got all the Purdue folks? Well, he like, was back a couple years ago. I mentioned in 2019, was he not on the Browns then? He was he slinging was. around against the Colts in training camp <laughs> back in go. 19, I think. I remember seeing him, but I, I just can't remember the context. But there you go. His so, wife, an, an Olympic track athlete, by the way. We did cover yeah, that last year. Yeah, when the yeah. uh, when the Colts were playing the Lions in the preseason, yeah. that was going on simultaneously right there. So some good matchups on paper. Uh, the Colts can kind of sharpen their skills. You know, you've got uh, you know T.J. Hawkinson, DeAndre Swift, Jamison Williams. You know, a first round draft pick for the Lions, Amon Ross St. Brown on defense. They've got uh, who they got? Jeff Akuda. Um, Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson, the first round one. pick. Yep. yep. So, yeah, that's a good matchup right away. You know, you're going to have ones versus ones. Let's see if Ryman can slow down a fellow rookie coming off the edge right there. All right, enough talk about uh, what's coming up in three months. We need to talk about what came out last week in the NFL schedule. That's still fresh on our minds. And to break down the schedule is Mike North, who literally put the schedule together for every NFL team, all 32 squads, 272 games. He is the NFL Vice President of Broadcast Planning. Mike, I really appreciate the time. I know you have a very busy schedule, no pun intended. How are you doing today? Yeah, doing great today. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. All right, so first of all, the schedule came out last Friday. Let's go back. Did you think 10, 15 years ago, Mike, the NFL schedule release date would become such a – it's like the Super Bowl, one of the Super Bowls of the offseason. You've got networks dedicating hours of coverage to it. You've got NFL teams spending you know, thousands of dollars on in-house videos to hype it up on, on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, how, how far have we come with the schedule in mind and the spectacle that it is in the offseason in May? Yeah, no doubt. We've come a long way. I've been uh, I've been doing this a long time. I, I never envisioned uh, a world where people would care that much, but uh, I love that they do. I love there's that much attention being paid to it, and uh, obviously it's it's one of the most important parts of the NFL offseason, right? And the way it slots in now, kind of post-draft, it used to come out, I know you've been doing this long enough to know, it used to come out kind of middle of April, even early April some yep. years, and it was just sort of a hey, whenever they get done with it, they'll put it out, they'll give everybody 24 to 48 hours notice. I mean, it's not like we're breaking news, right? We knew who the Colts, you know, home and road opponents were. All we're mm-hmm. kind of doing is putting them in order and, and figuring out which ones are in prime time and which ones are on the holidays. So uh, I, I don't know that we're breaking news, but I love that people care. I love that people want to talk about it. And uh, to the point that they're interested in hearing from me, I'm, I'm happy to tell you how we <laughs> arrived at, at what we did and, and uh, where we're going to go from here. Mike, from your perspective, how entertaining is it to see each of the organizations and their content teams or social media teams get behind their own releases? Because being part of our production department, I know the expectation and a little bit of the pressure that there is to a lot of the franchises to put these big budget for some big budget type of productions behind what they're doing. I mean, we saw what the Rams have done, the Chargers year after year, and this year the Colts got Matt Ryan involved in a fun skit about Matty Ice and Frank Reich in on the bit as well. How entertaining is it for you to see each of the teams and what they do to make it special and kind of tie in their own spin on it? 
Yeah, look, I love it. I mean, as a fan, I love it. I love how, uh, as you guys know, and as you just alluded to, there are so many really talented people behind the scenes working on things that maybe don't get uh, a whole lot of attention, maybe don't see the light of day that often. And if this is something where some of those really talented people can kind of bring their skills uh, out to the forefront, let the public see it, um, you know, as we wind down in the final couple of days of schedule making, I mean, we're literally not even done until this year, Tuesday night. I mean, it really wasn't until Tuesday night, about 48 hours before we put the thing out, that the commissioner finally said, all right, this one I'm good with, let's go. So w- our heads are down, the computers are spinning, the group is still meeting. Uh, we're, we're not really looking at what everybody else is doing uh, other than just trying to get our term paper done before the professor says, <laughs> you know, pencils down. So uh, we don't really get a chance to see everything uh, while they're building it. So we kind of get it the way all the rest of the fans do, kind of Thursday night when it gets released and you almost kind of backtrack and you start seeing the buzz, right? You start seeing people saying like, hey, have you seen this link or have you seen that link or other people picking uh, picking up the, the links to some of the really good ones, the really funny ones. And then finally, by about Friday afternoon, they do send something around the office, kind of all 32 team social media executions of their schedule release. <laughs> and there's some really good stuff in there. They're and then really you're the judge. Right then, you're picking the best ones. <laughs> oh, they don't care what we think, <laughs> <laughs> Mike. I want to dive into what you said there. You kind of you, you finalize everything and you send it off for approval. Is there multiple windows? I mean, is that like you have a handful of rough drafts and you're finally waiting for that final? Is there multiple schedules that you send out, or is that the way that it works? Is that last one is the one you send out? Yeah, there's really two answers to that. Number one is you know, if we're showing the commissioner a finalist contender schedule and he hates it, we have not done our jobs over the previous four or six weeks. We kind of checkpoint with him as we go, kind of every week. Hey, boss, here's what we're thinking about in terms of total primetime appearances. Here's what we're thinking about is big give to certain networks. This is what we're going to do with this game or that game, sort of those must-see TV games that we all know about, whether it's a quarterback going back to his previous team or something like that. So we kind of give him a hint as we go. Here's what we're thinking. Here's the path we're going down. Here's what the computers are searching for. If he hates it, I, I hope he tells us, you know, earlier than, you know, May 11th. Um, and then to your question about are there uh, more than one candidate, there are. I mean, we really do come down to the end. You know, once we've met with him kind of on a weekly basis and kind of get a sense from him, this is what I'm looking for, this is what I think we should be solving for, I like this instead of that, let's go left instead of right, all those finalist schedules, they kind of look alike, right? There's not going to be varying right. changes, wild swings in the primetime schedule or anything like that. But, you know, this schedule might have a three-game road trip for the Bengals, and that one might have a three-game road trip for the Colts. And this one might have this team with a road after road Monday, and this one might have this team starting with two away to start the season. And this one brings with it this game on Sunday night, and this one brings with it that game on ESPN. And so just trying to find that right balance between creating the best national television windows, the most fan-friendly television schedules, and also balancing the team pain, you know, the competitive inequities that are inevitably in every schedule, just trying to find the right balance and bringing them all to the boss. And, look, if I'm doing my job, I feel like I'm making this decision real hard on him. Here's a whole bunch of really good NFL schedules. Anyone you pick is going to be great. How you pick, well, that's why that guy's the boss. This might be an odd question, but on that, you talk about the primetime games. I looked at some of the schedules, and it looks like five might be that that lucky number of the amount of primetime games at some of the. Is there a threshold that you guys go in with? With this might be the max for certain teams as far as primetime games go. 
Yeah, that's where we start, just based on our contractual obligations to our primetime partners and our Sunday right. afternoon partners. I mean, as you can imagine, if you worked for NBC or ESPN, you would want that number to be eight or nine, right? Give me all the Cowboys right. and Packers exactly. and Chiefs games in primetime every every season. Uh, if you worked for CBS and Fox, you'd want that number to be a lot smaller. I'd love to have all those games right. uh, on a Sunday afternoon package for myself. So, again, trying to find the right balance. Five's the magic number, somewhere between NBC Sunday night, ESPN Monday night, and now Amazon on Thursday night kind of fives that magic number leaves just enough behind for Sunday afternoon partners allows us to still fill other windows whether it's international or holidays and still have you know the good games the biggest games in our primetime windows at the end of the day we're not doing our jobs if we're putting those really big games you know on a Sunday afternoon at one o'clock eastern time with seven other eight games going on at once you want to put the biggest games in the biggest windows. Mike, I was uh, geeking out a little bit on the schedule before we started this conversation. I read that you and your team had to sift through more than 100,000 schedules out of a possible one quadrillion possibilities (laughs) that the computer spits out to you, and then you guys finally landed on the right one, uh, as you alluded to in that process. But the NFL schedule has a lot of rules that it has to follow, right? It has to contend with uh, consecutive road games, rest uh, venue conflicts, uh, team requests, uh, things happening in certain cities. Can you give us some some of those rules and how hard it is to plug in uh, those rules into your software system that that generates those possible outcomes? Yeah, look, there's some evergreen rules that you know we don't ever really mess with. Things like uh, you know you can't go more than three weeks without a, a home game. You can catch a three-game road trip here and there. It happens. It happened to the Colts recently. Mm-hmm. Because it happened to the Colts recently, it shouldn't happen again. You know, this year or next year. So balance out all the things that a coach or general manager might hate, whether it's two away to start or three in a row on the road or a road after road Monday or too many games against teams coming off their bye weeks. All the things that coaches general managers look at so there's the competitive equity side of the house and then like we kind of hinted at just before there are some television obligations with our partners there's a certain number of appearances for each team on each network and each network gets to make certain requests not over specific games you know there's no such thing where you know this network says this game is mine doesn't work like that. They get to say we want this many appearances from this team or that team. So we try to balance it out. We talk to all the networks. We talk to all the teams, solicit everybody's input. What do we need to know? What do you want us to keep in mind? What are you most concerned about? What are you most focused on? What's your priority? We take all that information, and then we kind of close and lock the door, feed it all into the computer system, and just let it keep spinning. Do we look through every single week of all 120,000 schedules? No, definitely not. Obviously not enough hours in the day. But all those schedules come out with some sort of metric, some sort of scoring system, some sort of viewership expectation, and we can kind of say, hey, this is the best of what we found overnight. Is it the best one we found so far? If it is, let's hang it on the wall. We'll call it the leader in the clubhouse, and if the commissioner comes downstairs tomorrow, bangs on the door and says, give me the best one you got, we've always got one hanging on the wall. In the meantime, let's try to beat it. What's the worst thing about it? Might be a three-game road trip, might be a week one o'clock window for CBS, might be the sequence of the Monday night football games in December, whatever it is that's the biggest wart, the biggest flaw on this schedule, let's try to fix it tonight. Let all the computers run. They're all working in the same direction, pulling on the chain. And we come in in the morning, we've got a whole bunch of contenders. They all fixed what was broken on the leader in the clubhouse. But what did they break in order to accomplish that? Are we better? If we are, boom, new leader in the clubhouse. If we're not, 
leader survives. Keep going. Keep trying to beat it. Keep throwing contenders at the leader. When that leader survives for a couple of days or even a couple of weeks, you know you're converging on optimal. You're getting pretty close to the best you're going to do. Mike, one of the highlight weekends, of course, is always the Thanksgiving Day game. And last year, the Colts played on Christmas night, that uh, game out in Arizona. This year, you have three Christmas Day games. And not that the Colts are involved in any of those, but Christmas Day has typically been one of those big NBA. That's where the NBA is going to put you know, all of their stars on display for that day. With having an NFL triple header, an NBA triple header, what were the considerations with having the two big leagues with both having three game options for fans to be able to watch and immerse themselves in on the Christmas Day holiday? Yeah, I think we've shown that Christmas has become, you know, a, a sports on TV holiday. Yeah. Um, you know, Thanksgiving certainly has been. Uh, you guys saw it because you played on Thanksgiving not that long ago. You know, those three games on Thanksgiving tend to be among the highest rated, most watched games of the season. Uh, as we've been able to deploy games on Christmas over these last couple of years, you know, obviously it depends on the calendar. Christmas fell on a Friday two years ago. It fell on Saturday last year, Sunday this year, Monday next year. Those are NFL game days. You know, as we get to 2024, you know, Christmas is going to fall on a Wednesday. I'm not sure we're going to play on Wednesday, but, you know, our fans are telling us that, you know, they like watching sports on television on these holidays, and uh, they like watching NFL games. So the viewership doesn't lie. Our fans are telling us what's important to them. When we have an opportunity to take advantage of some of these new windows, whether it's the Thanksgiving holiday, the Christmas holiday, now you've got some of these 9.30 a.m. Eastern Time Sunday games with the European games. You know, we're always looking for these new windows. We're always looking to innovate. We're always looking to try something new, see what the fans are interested in. And more than anything, it's exposing some of these teams to an audience that they might not get otherwise, right? It wasn't that long ago that every NFL game was played at 1 o'clock and 4 o'clock Eastern. You know, then we added Monday night football in the 70s, and then slowly we added Sunday night football, then Thursdays, now Sunday mornings. At some point, we might reach a, a level where, hey, that's just too much football on a weekend, but I'm not sure we've reached it yet. So every chance we get to put another good game in another window where our fans are going to get a chance to see some of these teams maybe they don't get to see very much, it's a good opportunity for us. And obviously, TV viewership is such a driving force, but I know just from hearing a lot of Colts fans when they saw that game come out a lot of families thought man what a great trip we'll make a trip out of Christmas this is what we're going to do as a family instead of doing a whole lot of gifts we're going to book our tickets to go somewhere cool and spend Christmas day at a stadium we've never gone to and make that type of an experience out of it so I think that's another intriguing thing just for fans of the game who might have it as I like to get to a different stadium every year or I want to see my team in person and they use that holiday opportunity they've got the time off work so hey let's make a road trip or let's fly our fly our family out there and spend the holiday together rooting and taking in a game and I think that is a really cool approach as well when you talk about those holiday games. Yeah, we actually kind of backed into maybe a, a travel opportunity for Christmas this year just because all three of the games we scheduled for Christmas happen to be in warm weather sites. We're yeah. in Miami in the afternoon, we're in L.A. in the late afternoon, and then we're out in Arizona at night. Uh, it wasn't intentional that way. We certainly looked at plenty of schedules where we might have found ourselves in Green Bay, in Chicago, in Denver. Definitely would have changed the travel considerations 
Christmas week, why not? Mike, I want to dive a little more Colts-specific. Now, there's always parity in the NFL, and, you know, any given Sunday, that mantra always rings true. It seems like for the Colts, it's when they go to Jacksonville. It's been kind of their bump in the road. When you look at these schedules, do you dive in and kind of look like, ah, that could be a bump in the road? Do you get to kind of look at some of these schedules and, and identify those games at all? Look, you said it exactly right. There, there's no such thing as, you know, a, a, an easy game in the NFL. There really isn't. So to look at each team's schedule and say, oh, this stretch is uh, unfair or this stretch is really challenging or this stretch is too easy, um, we don't really have that luxury, mostly because none of us know anything, right? I mean, <laughs> right. You, we'd love to be able to Same tell here, ourselves yeah. and tell our fans, you know, oh, this team's going to go 12-5 and five and, and that team is going to go 13-4, and four, but none right. of us know anything best laid plans in april and may suddenly become you know big swings and misses by the time you get to them in november and december but um as best as we can tell you know there's certainly games every year that you know the fans are going to care about you know they're going to want to see and again not doing our jobs if you put that game at one o'clock on a sunday eight other games going on only 15 percent of the country gets to watch it so you try to move some of those bigger ones the ones that sound like football games quote unquote that's what howard katz always says the guy who runs the scheduling process that's sounds like a football game. Well, if it does, then it should be in a window where more fans can access it. And I think that's what we try to do over the years, get the bigger sounding games into the bigger viewed windows. But you also have to keep an eye on the competitive implications of it as well. You could make the perfect television schedule if there is such a thing. Nothing but Cowboys and Packers and Chiefs and, you know, all those teams in prime time every week. That's probably not going to be your best team schedule, right? You're going to have to break some eggs to make an omelet. Flip side of that is you can make perfect team schedules. Everybody open at home, close at home, nobody with a three-game road trip, everybody with a mid-season bye. Just by definition, that's not going to be your best television schedule. Mm -hmm. So trying to find that balance between those to you know maximize viewership maximize our fans opportunity to see the best games without putting any one team in a real competitive disadvantage all right mike a couple of uh, colts questions before we close out here this year the colts are playing three of their first four games against the division five of their first six afc south games come before halloween uh, is there a deviation from from backloading division games like in years past to kind of generate important matchups late in the season we've kind of seen that in the past but not so much this year at least not for the Colts where obviously the the front-loaded nature of their schedule all AFC South early in the months of September and October yeah, if I could wave a magic wand, I would love the idea of everybody kind of opening the season with the first maybe three or four weeks of the season outside of the division. I don't know that we want to save every division game for the back half of the schedule, but certainly you know, division games late in the season tend to keep teams from clinching playoff spots or at least clinching division right. titles. So right. saving some of them for the back half does make sense. But it's interesting, as you hand you know, the commissioner the final six or eight schedules, you know, this particular one that we ended up going, with kind of front loaded a little bit with some of the Colts division games but you look throughout the rest of the division you know you see Houston finishing with three straight division games you know a previous version of this schedule might have had that exactly flipped the Colts with all their division games kind of late and the Texans or the Jags with all their division games early just trying to balance it out across the whole league look none of us know anything but you know kind of have been led to think that you know the Colts and the Titans might be the two teams fighting for a division title late in the year would have been great to hold on to maybe one of those Colts and Titans games for a little bit later in the year. That being said, 
they're worth value no matter when they're played. That's true. Right? Because that Colts-Titans series may well end up deciding the AFC South, whether they play it in week three right. or week five or week 17 and 18. Those games are still going to matter. So kind of sprinkling some of the big division games throughout the entire schedule for all the divisions and then hopefully saving a few for the back end, keeping anybody from being able to run away with a division. If the NFL had their way, you know, we'd have everybody 8-8 eight and eight heading into that final weekend and everybody still in playoff mm-hmm. contention. That, that's my dream. We haven't gotten there yet, but I'd love to see that someday. All right, then last one, uh, the primetime games for the Colts. Uh, 2022, the Colts get four primetime games, two of them at home, Monday night games. Really cool. I mean, the fan base is fired up about that because it's been a sticking point around here because uh, this will be the first time the Colts will host a primetime game on either Monday night or Sunday night since 2015. So since 2016, Mike, the Colts have played 15 primetime games, and only four of those have come at home. Uh, How did the league view that? I know you've heard about that. Jim Irsay's been open about that. Um, What was the stance uh, from the league on that? Was that a coincidence, or was there something to that? Just how did that come about from the league standpoint? Yeah, look, the honest answer is they were due. I mean, they've been a good team in playoff contention for a lot of years. Therefore, they're going to find themselves on primetime television. Has the balance definitely seemed to shift toward more road games? Yes, no question about it. Undeniable. It is what it is. Um, You know, there's a couple of factors in there. One of them is obviously, um, you know, the rotation, who plays who and who plays where. That one's out of our hands. So there are times when you look at a schedule and you might see a game like in Indianapolis at Kansas City or whatever it is, you know, Indy at KC, that one's thrust upon us. And then you have to decide, is that game so good that you want to put it in prime time? Maybe mm-hmm. you do. And maybe it is a little unfair for the Colts and their fans to have this many road primetime games year after year. But, you know, the, the rotation might just tell you, hey, they're really good games. They're primetime worthy games. Might just happen to be on the road this year. So this particular season, knowing that they were hosting the Steelers, hosting the Chargers, hosting the Chiefs, hosting the Eagles, there was definitely going to be an opportunity for us to find a couple of really good home primetime sites for them. And you mentioned the holidays. You know, it also happened to work out that, you know, they're on the Monday of Thanksgiving weekend, mm-hmm. they're on the Monday of Christmas weekend. You know, nice to be able to get to still spend the holiday with the family <laughs> and still kind of bookend, you know, what's a big football viewing weekend right. for us. Um, you know, really looking forward to it. I think the fact, like you mentioned, not just hosting these games, but if you look at where in the season they have fallen, right, you got the two Monday night games, both week 12 and later. You got the Sunday nighter in Dallas in week 13. And don't forget they're in the Saturday pool in week 15. So if the Colts and Vikings are in the playoff chase, that's yet another national television appearance. The fact that you see so many of those and they're all kind of masked up in the back half of the schedule probably gives you a pretty good indication that the league thinks the Colts are going to be in this thing in the second half of the season and really looking forward to getting to expose them to the country let them see Matty Ice under center with the horseshoe on his helmet and the whole country will get to see how that's going you know into November and December so that when they get into the playoffs in January it's not the first time fans have seen a Colts game all right fair enough well said right there again that's uh, Mike North from the NFL office and uh, for those that don't know which a lot of our listeners do not Mike is our point person on all broadcast matters. So if I have a question about broadcasting, 
I go to Mike. So I was talking with Mike a lot. You know, I'm sure you were sick of me and people like me, Mike, during the whole pandemic because uh, 2020, 2021, there's still a lot of remote broadcasting going on, and uh, you were the uh, liaison with the league, the networks, getting alternate feeds, giving us technical information that we needed to get the video support. So uh, what has the last few years been like for you, and how ready are you for a change in a good way to get things back to normal? Yeah, look, I think we're all ready to put this pandemic in the rear view and, and kind of go back to the way things were. But um, what I think we learned and, and, you know, not so much to, to the league office, but really more kudos to, to folks like you and, and your staff is what we were able to accomplish really with, you know, one hand tied behind our back or two hands sometimes tied behind our back. <laughs> the fact that, you know, everybody was still able to get on the air, was still able to figure out a way to do their job, still able to bring the content to the fans was frankly inspiring it was incredible and and i know you've gotten some of my emails you know always so impressed with all of our friends who are doing the local television broadcast doing the team shows doing the radio broadcasts what a group of dedicated incredibly talented individuals and also humble right everybody said what can i do to help not just my team but the visiting team yeah. how do i get this feed out of my stadium we all had to do over that to them because yep. i know i'm going to play them someday and they're going to do the same for me <laughs> right, right. so the fact that everybody really kind of rallied together the spirit of cooperation was was so inspiring and it was amazing you know i know you've heard this from your listeners but man you wouldn't have even known you guys weren't on site sometimes when you were calling the games you're doing it in front of monitors you're obviously a little bit curtailed in what you're used to but everybody found a way everybody got through it but like you said i think we're all really looking forward to getting back on the planes back in the stadiums back out with the fans right. and getting things back to normal no doubt about that that's mike north from the nfl office he is the nfl broadcasting guru uh, and this has been a fascinating interview. It's a fascinating process, Mike. We appreciate you shedding uh, some light on it. Enjoy some time off. You've earned it. Have a great summer, and uh, hopefully I'm not bugging you for a long time, all right? Yeah, you call me anytime you need, all right? Thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. Thank yeah. you, Mike. Again, that's Mike North from the league office. And, uh, yeah, I think I think that was the biggest compliment that uh, you could give us, the radio broadcast, really 2020 and 2021 is – you know, people would come up to us and they'd say, I, I didn't even know you guys weren't there. You sounded like you were in San Francisco. We had the <laughs> pouring rain and we had the sound effects on in the background and you had the rain hitting in the microphone feed that we Shout got. Shout out from- to Ken and Skyler, our engineers oh, yeah. and, and Chris, uh, Chris Buckley, Mike Stevens, all of the guys who made all that possible, who you guys don't get to hear from. They were the true rock stars of these last two seasons. We did a good job. Theater of the mind. That that San Francisco game is a good example because we're sitting there, we're doing the game, and you got the sound effects in the background, the rain pouring, and you got you know the grunts, the shoulder pads, and the sound effects in the background. And I think we pulled it off. We we fooled a lot of people, except for Lara in the background. The last play of the game is laughing hysterically in the booth with us as uh, DeForest Buckner gets that game ceiling or game wrapping up sack. Uh, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But it was great. You know, it was great. You know. If you that know, was, you know. That was right? one of my favorite parts of the broadcast was, <laughs> if you know, you know. And I actually felt for the first time nope. in a lot, and I was in on the inside joke. I was like, I know what he's no, talking about. Lara's supposed to be down the field, like theater of the mind. Like, you know, there's a, there's a measurement. You know, it's fourth and inches. Lara, what do you see on the field? Even though she's six feet away from me in the same studio. And then I'm still bringing you're you supposed, perspective. You're supposed to be on the field, and then we hear you in the background laughing six feet away from me which is absolutely outstanding. So. Oh, I could 
could take it was just such a perfect finale to that day. Next and week I, on the podcast, me, I'll pull up that that oh highlight, that God, clip. No. You can just hear you cackling in the background, which is so epic. <laughs> <laughs> well, because at that point I don't really have duties until we're getting set up for post game. So right. I was kind of like just watching the last of the game <laughs> and so I great. just flipped into fangirl mode for a minute. But one thing to go back to what, what Mike touched on with the cooperation of all the different teams. That's one thing for me is, although, Matt, I was in most situations not far from you. Of course, home games in 21, I was on the field, and then we were in Miami, we were in Nashville. We had a couple of games where we were supposed to be in Baltimore. Uh, that's a conversation for another day, too. But yeah. relying upon friends of mine who are the network sideline reporters who would text me certain things that they were seeing. That, I mean, they were just such team players. And other teams, the home teams reporters and sideline reporters we were trading information I mean you know I was talking with Maddie Glab in Buffalo and she's texting me things from Buffalo and friends of mine who are with the Cardinals or you know San Fran like friends of mine all across the league who were willing to say hey injury situation it looks like this this is what they're discussing and we would do the same for them um it was just incredible it was such a testament to the family that is behind the shield of the NFL and right. how willing people are. Like, yeah, it's competitive and teams are going head to head, but there's just such a, an immense empathy across the league for people who do our jobs at the other 31 teams. Yeah, absolutely. Especially in 2021, because there was not an even playing field right. uh, last year, unlike 2020. You know, 2020, everybody's sort of in the same boat. No one's really traveling, and everybody's doing games virtually. And that just wasn't the case for every team. It was all sort of situational. Can you get to this game? Can you not get to this game? Can you get back in a timely manner on Monday to do, you know, wrap-up stuff? So that was a lot of things to to, to juggle there, and hopefully we don't have to mess with that uh, coming up this season. Sounds like we won't, but, again, fingers crossed on that. And, again, Mike North. Yeah, there you go. Knock on wood. Mike North, outstanding conversation there regarding the NFL schedule and some uh, nuggets regarding the Colts 2022 slate as well. All right, let's close out. Let's uh, let's go to the thought of the week. All right, random thought of the week here. There's Charlie. There's Charlie Kelly. Bye, <laughs> Sylvia. She found it. Good poll right there. He now Charlie looks like he's in front of the Whopper on that picture with everything going on in the background. Yeah. Has, has Monday night football, has that overtaken Sunday night football now as the marquee game of the week? you got the broadcasters changing. Some of the matchups are better that Mike alluded to. Is Monday night now the night over Sunday night, Casey? I think so. Uh, I think it started with the broadcasters, the amount of money that they're paying for that. It, it must be, right? But isn't, isn't Troy Aikman, like, livid once he sees what Tom Brady's going to go oh, to Fox <laughs> right. for? And Aikman's like, I way undersold myself. Yeah. Well, I, I signed in March. This guy signed in May. This guy's never even called a buyer's, game. Buyer's remorse. You know, he, he, set the, you know, he set the bar. That's what happens. You don't want to be the guy that sets the bar. You want to be the guy right after. After it, and that's what happened with Troy Aikman. So you know, that's what happens. You know, I don't good think job. Troy's for, really hurting. Though. No, I, not at all. I mean, it's, isn't it wild to think that we're in a we're in a world now where these broadcasters who had very successful NFL careers are making more yeah. as a broadcaster? Yeah, than Tom Brady's going to retire and make more money in the yes. booth than he did on the football Unbelievable field. Unbelievable yeah. to me. And he's, I mean, arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the Here's game. Here's the irony. And Here's, you know. and I know we're getting off topic a little bit. <laughs> But like he talked about when he was allegedly retiring that he you know he wanted to spend more time with his family right. and do all of this and it's like wait 
Uh-huh. When you're broadcasting, yeah, you're going back to more football, and then in some ways it's like I mean, more it's rigorous. A lot of, yes, yes it's, it's more film study. It's it is, and now you're traveling out. On, you're never at home, right? Now you're going <laughs> to travel gone every right? game. <laughs> I, so I, I don't know. Like there's some irony in that. Oh, I'm going to retire to spend more time with my family, and then you're immediately signing a deal to go to Fox Sports, and you haven't even retired. So it's like oh, I don't know. I don't know. Like clearly, <laughs> clearly you're not retiring to spend more time I'll with your family. Jeff and I talked about this on the last word last Friday. Are you guys like how how prone to tuning in to an NFL game are you, Larry, just for the broadcast booth? Very, very rarely. Um, I mean, I'm, it's it's usually games wow. for me. I'm yeah, not, I, I honestly, I, it's the game. I think I mean, zero. I honestly, it's one of those things that you know. I mean, the marquee and, games unless are going to be the Manning cast. Like sometimes right. I don't give that's, a crap about the true. matchup whatsoever, but I'm like, I want to hear well, Peyton see, even, and Eli. Even, like, even that the is one thing. Though, going back to the beginning of this podcast and my, you know, my affinity right. for the first family of football. But. I do agree with you, though. The Manning cast was great, and it was a good alternative when it was Packers Lions, and I don't have a skin in the game, right. and I'm just sort of watching. You know, just strictly as a fan. But even the Manning cast, when they would get, I, I honestly, I would enjoy the Manning cast better if it was just the Mannings, and they would sort of ditch some oh, of the guests. I felt yeah. like the guests were there kind were of too forced many a guests. little bit. Yeah, I, I can understand that. I will say, sometimes I will tune in just as someone who's in this business. I will tune in for certain reporters because I enjoy learning from how certain reporters deliver things like I love sure. to watch how Tom Rinaldi has adapted to not only just being the best storyteller that there is I mean light years above anyone else in my opinion uh, in terms of sports features and the way he writes and narrates and all of those things but then he as a sideline reporter yeah. he's outstanding so to me he's really impressive the versatility that he's developed since going to going to Fox and embracing some of those sideline roles so i do right. sometimes kind of watch just to try to learn from how people do things differently and what they bring to the sidelines to try to take a little inspiration or take a little knowledge from that and incorporate into what we do as we try to evolve and make our broadcasts better and more insightful for our fans because I always think and you guys know this those who are tuning in and I'm talking about like our radio broadcasts being the home team broadcast those are most often your most knowledgeable dedicated passionate fans so they have read all the articles over the week they've listened to all of you know they listen to the podcast they've listened to you know the the radio shows they've listened to press conferences so on Sunday, how are we delivering them something different than all of what they've already consumed right. now with the infinity of the Internet, blogs, articles, everything, in addition to what we're providing? What am I bringing that's new on Sundays? So I'm always challenging myself. Mayte, I know you and Rick spend your entire week dedicated. Casey, you on the pregame and halftime show and postgame shows, all of that. So... I do look to certain broadcasters. I'm really excited to see Melissa Stark back on the sideline this season. So in terms of trying to adapt and make our coverage even better, I do look to some Mm -hmm. of them to try to complement that when we're challenging ourselves to bring something unique. Uh, And you're exactly right. I could not agree with you more. I think, though, the – I think that's maybe – if you're just talking about the the national audience that's watching the game, like the 425 marquee – game on Fox or CBS, mm-hmm. I think 90% of your audience, though, is just watching because they have uh, a gambling interest or they just love football. Fantasy right. football. Just fantasy football. Yeah, football. Yeah, right. And so I just think those people are watching the game regardless of who's in the booth. I think 
you know, my neighbor and, and his neighbor next door could probably do the game and they would still pull massive ratings <laughs> right. because the matchup, the players, the coaches, the game drives viewership. I just think having a guy like Tom Brady or Drew Brees or Tony Romo is sort of the cherry on top that makes the game feel even bigger, makes it even more of an event. To me, it's a flex between the networks. It's just who can outdo right now, one it's another. It's keeping just, up with it's the just an arms race. They did it this, is an so announcer's arm race. Yep. Arms totally. race is exactly what it is, in my opinion. Those guys aren't necessarily drawing better numbers or this or right. that. It's just to say, we've got one over on CBS or we've got one over on ESPN but it is, it is or one over on NBC. Yeah. It is fascinating, though. I mean, whatever the number was on Tom Brady, was it $35 million a year, $40 uh, million a year? $350 million contract, I believe. Believe, yeah. over, over 10 years, so whatever. It's an enormous amount of money. I sent you money. that text message. I'm glad you glad you really looked at it because I sent you the article, so thanks. Well, I, I looked at the headline. It's all I needed to know. I, I dove in thanks last week. I had, a lot of things happen over the weekend, L.O. But I just mean, there's, it's an enormous amount of money, bottom line, for ratings that I think are already there. It's almost there. what you get. Yeah, that's in the ballpark. Yeah, it's close. It's close, but Tom's got a little ways to go, I think. He'll he'll get there, though. Another couple of Super Bowls and, and bring that name recognition up a little bit. Yeah, we'll see. Anything else we missed? Uh, any any parting shots you guys want to take here as we wrap up? Lara, Lara, what's the website for Oxford, Missouri, or Mississippi yeah. here? Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, I'm ready. Laraoverton.com. I'll direct you right to it. Backslash Oxford. Swipe up. I love it. I love it. Good stuff this week. And, again, Mike North was fantastic. Uh, coming up tomorrow, Wednesday, we're going to have an interview with another Colts player in studio. Already week five of the off-season workout program, man. Week, was it? There's nine weeks, and we're already in yeah. week five. Yeah. So the minicamp in June is going to be here before you know yeah. it. What really quickly, does nine weeks just hearing that give you like a little shudder from like school? Like yeah, everything like, oh, was always yeah. nine yeah. weeks. That's you get a that nine-week report card. Ooh. Yeah. I was always first like, quarter. I was always really good until you got to the comments, and it was like, talks too much in class, <laughs> easily distracted. <laughs> <laughs> I always got in eye. Ours, there, it was like, needs improvement. Oh, on, like, needs uh, improvement. I had, a, I had a whole bunch of NIs. My parents were always like, citizenship, whatever that means. <laughs> but citizenship, you got needs improvement. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I need to improve somewhere. Yeah, but, go yeah. out and vote. Improve your citizenship. <laughs> You got NIs across the board, pal. Exactly. I love it. Hey, also coming up on Friday, we're going to continue to break down the Colts' skill players on offense. And you guys will appreciate this because we all love this man. We've got an interview with Jimmy Mad Dog Matus. He announced his retirement earlier this month. We're going to talk to Dog uh, about uh, what's next and uh, all that he's accomplished in radio, the legend that he is here in central Indiana and the Indianapolis icon. Jimmy Mad Dog Matus on the show Friday. On the last word. Lara Overton, Casey Valley, I'm Matt Taylor, JJ Stangovitz back in the fold coming up next week. We thank you for listening. We're breaking down the Colts every Tuesday here on the Colts official podcast. As always, rate, review, and subscribe. Give us those five star ratings if you can, if you like what you've heard, and uh, come back for more next Tuesday here on the Colts official podcast. So long.